0: Absolute Zero, by Robert B. Fitton. Episode 8. More executions in Texas. Gary Phillips arrived in Manassas, Texas on Sunday night. He checked into the Holiday Inn and was soon in the lounge. His money supply was dwindling and he knew that sooner or later he had to call Fred Briggs to have money wired to him. However, he was hesitant as he did not want to cut ties with his former life. He did not know whether Briggs would comply with his request. As drink after drink passed over his lips, dollar after dollar left his wallet. He sat at the bar with several men from the town. They talked about general things as the night wore on, and the talk centered on each man's philosophy of life. Everyone's out on his own skin, said a husky man in a tan cowboy hat. He ain't as bad as you think, what do you "'What do you think, Mr. Phillips?' asked the other man in a faded denim jacket. "'Well, let's uh, look at the overall situation in retrospect,' said Phillips, his eyelids hanging heavy. "'One would have to be quite suspect of each position,' said Phillips as he tried to speak, as if he knew what he was talking about. "'Now, Gumfer, now, Gumfer, your statement is very—' "'Excuse me,' said a voice to his right as he was bumped on the shoulder.' I'll have a... <clears throat> Tom Collins. Hey, Phillips turned around, slightly angered by the bump. Why don't you be more careful where you're going? His face lit up. Denby! Darby O'Malley, who had consumed as many drinks as Phillips, squinted. She looked at Phillips closely. Then a smile came to her face. You! What are you doing here? Rally there, Denby! Darby! she corrected, as the bartender brought her another drink. "'Why don't you come over and join us?' she asked as she pointed to several tables which had been pulled together. "'Sure, Darby, sure, that would be great,' said the smiling Phillips. "'If you gentlemen will excuse me,' he said. "'No problem there, Gip,' they answered, and he made his way across the lounge with the young woman. She swayed back and forth, spilling some of her drink on the floor. ''Come over here, fellas,'' she said to the men and women at the tables. ''Fellas, I want want you to meet a good friend of mine. What's your name? Gary Phillips.'' The group resumed their discussion and Phillips sat down next to Darby. ''So, you've come for the rally?'' she asked as her eyes seemed to roll as she spoke. ''Well, I wanted a change, something constructive. You know, I felt this would be more or less constructive. You know, a change.'' He said as she half heard what he said. Yeah, yeah, good, a change, yeah, that's good. And then she smiled at him for no particular reason. Why are you here covering Carrie? Phillips asked. Huh? She asked as she smiled again and drank the liquor in one gulp. Carrie, the baseball player, Carrie, you're a reporter for that baseball thing, right? He asked as he followed suit and then gulped his drink. "'Oh, Brian, yeah, of course, he's really blown this one for me. "'They sent me all the way out to this godforsaken place, "'and now Crager announces that Carrie's staying in Miami. "'Not coming.' A "'Lot of nerve,' she said as she looked into Phillips's eyes. "'You know, you're kind of cute. "'What did you say?' "'I said you're cute. Nothing wrong with that. You are. "'And a gentleman picking up my papers back at the other place.' You're a gentleman. You're more cute than you're a gentleman. Being the gentleman that I am, why don't I take you out of the town? What kind of girl do you think I am? She said as she took him under the arm, and they both stood up. Only holding on to each other prevented them from falling to the floor. But as to steady themselves, left the bar and walked into the cool prairie night. Phillips opened one eye, and Darby opened one eye. Then they both opened the other eye. She looked at Phillips and furrowed her brow. Phillips held both ha, Phillips held both sides. Phillips held his temples.
1: What, what the, the hell? hell?
0: They both said at the same time. Phillips' eyes darted back and forth as he tried to remember. Darby tightened her eyes as several times she attempted to speak, but couldn't get the words out. The bar! We met back at the bar! And went over to the table, asked Phillips. "'Did we leave?' asked Darby. "'Damn if I know,' replied Phillips. "'We must have. I don't remember.' She stopped and realized that she had slept in the same bed with him. "'Did we, uh,' began Phillips. "'No, I, I don't think we did. Uh, "'We have our clothes on. Look!' she said as she picked at the material. "'Look, I don't want you to think i go around picking up men like this,' she said, gesturing with her hands. "'Damn, I know we didn't. "'I remember coming to the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. "'That's right, I jumped on the bed,' she said as she got up. "'That's the last damn thing I remember. "'You passed out, and so did I,' exclaimed Phillips. "'Yeah, I don't usually drink like that. "'I mean, I drink, but not like that. "'With Kerry canceling out, I just went out for a few drinks. "'I was kind of pissed off that he didn't show up. "'I had no idea I'd get loaded like that.' "'Oh, God.' She said as she looked in the mirror. I look like hell. Where are we? At the Holiday Inn, right? Room 570. Look, Darby, said Phillips as he got up and walked over to the mirror. I can drive you to your room. Oh, you're going to drive me to my room? What are you going to do? Drive your car up to the sixth floor? Hey, I'm sorry for this. Can I take you to lunch? It's almost one o'clock. Sure, I've got to go upstairs and wash up, and then I've got to fly to Chicago tonight. Why do you suppose Carrie canceled out, asked Phillips. That's what I hope to find out. The tropics in their season ends in Chicago this weekend. just doesn't make sense to me. I know the guy. He's never bailed out of anything in his life. Well, let me go upstairs. You probably want to change and shower, too. I'll call you when I'm ready. Okay, Denby, smiled Phillips. What's your name? She replied as she opened the door and went upstairs. And Phillips called out. You know my name. Phillips, undressed, and was preparing to shower as the telephone rang. He heard Darby's voice, and he thought she was canceling lunch. No, no, we're going to lunch, she said. I just checked my messages. Carrie is coming to Texas. He's arriving late this afternoon at some panel discussion over at the local high school. See, he didn't let you down after all, said Phillips. No, you want to meet him, don't you? Just a regular guy, Gary. I'll introduce you at the rally," she said. All right, why not? That would be great. Good. I'll be down in about 20 minutes, she said as she hung up the phone. He had a brief lunch at some small Italian restaurant and then drove in her car to the high school. The surrounding bleachers had been lowered and the chairs set up on the floor. The tiny gymnasium was filled to capacity. A long table had been set up on a makeshift stage under a raised basketball backboard. Darby excused herself as she wandered over to a group of reporters and Phillips walked around the gathering. He could see the plainly dressed Crager seated in the center of the discussion table fielding questions from the audience. feeling an increased sense of civic duty and in an attempt to bolster his determination to do something useful with his life, he walked over the line of people to speak into the microphone. As the people in front of him discussed the moral implications of capital punishment, Phillips thought of a different line. Yes, Mr. Krager, he began his derby, recognizing his voice looked down front. It appears to me that life is a growing movement, and I must say I support your efforts, but yeah, yeah. I think you're making a contribution against this problem. But sir, my question involves publicity. How has life tried to foster its image with the public? Or has it? Well, sir. Answered Crager. Let me just say that life does not, and I repeat, does not employ a professional advertising firm. That's what you're implying. Life runs more or less on public opinion, and that's the way it should be. I would not want to foster any false claims or hyping hyping, advertising gimmicks that push the movement onto people in any way whatsoever. That would be wrong, very wrong, and I think most people will sense the injustice of the law and the tide will be turned. But we do not employ any professional tactics. Next question, please. Phillips stepped from the microphone, looking for Darby, and still elated by the fact he was going to meet Brian Carey. He had trouble seeing her as there were so many people milling around, and he wanted to ask her to dinner. Taking out his wallet, he saw his remaining money, 40 bucks. If he wanted to continue his newfound life, he'd need more money. And more money meant calling Fred Briggs. He looked over in Craig's direction, and then to the rear of the gymnasium where there was a public telephone. As Crager continued to speak, Phillips walked up to the line of people waiting to use the telephone. Very interesting, said Crager, to the opinion of one of the questioners. One of his aides emerged from the rear of the stage and whispered something into Krager's ear. Ladies and gentlemen, we uh, will take a slight break here. We don't want to wear out our welcome in Texas. If you will excuse me, we'll be back in 15 minutes, said Crager as he pushed the chair back and stepped down from the stage. He exited through the rear door and walked down the corridor toward the main office of the school where there was a telephone and where he had locked up his briefcase. His pace was deliberate as he entered the outer secretary's office and picked up the telephone, dialing swiftly. Phillips was not having much luck placing his call to Briggs. There were two people ahead of him, and the lady on the telephone talked away. Impatiently, he got out of line and walked up to a policeman standing at the exit. "'Excuse me, officer. Is there another payphone around here? I have a very important call to make.' "'Well, there's a phone in the main office. It's local,' stipulated the officer. "'Well, I can call Collect. Where's the office?' asked Phillips. Down the corridor. First corridor to the left, and then up to the next one. You'll see it. It's on the left. To the left. Thank you, said Phillips as he walked quickly down the corridor. Crager listened to the party on the other end of his call. With an obvious reluctance, he held the receiver from his ear. Yes, yes. It's in the itinerary. It's locked inside the principal's office. All right, all right, I'll get it. One minute, please, said Crager as he walked down the hallway and went into the rear offices. He pushed the button on the principal's telephone and opened a safe on the wall with the combination that had been given to him. He unlocked his own briefcase and pulled out some papers. I'm looking now, Jay. There is no problem. Give me some credit, will you? Phillips entered the outer offices and looked around for a telephone. Didn't take him long to notice the receiver lying on the Famica counter. Curiously, he picked it up as he heard the distinctive voice of Max Crager. Look, Jay, I tell you, Kerry is going to put the screws to the whole operation. What can we do to stop him? I heard him tell me personally that he's all done with life, and now here he is in Manassas. You tell me what's going on.
1: "'Please calm down, Mr. Crager,'
0: replied the feminine British voice.
1: "'Make another call to Beetlehouse and find out what he knows.' "'Well, he wasn't overjoyed the other day, and he won't cooperate.' "'Then we have to move to extremes, don't we, Mr. Crager? "'I'm not afraid to use violence if our efforts are being hampered,'
0: she said as Phillips held the receiver as if it were a volatile stick of dynamite.
1: "'Good.' I'm um, for that,
0: said Krager emphatically.
1: And the security for the Walsh pickups. I don't want any more Jack Irwin's following that hearse. The trip to the platform must be smooth.
0: Well, no, they have two patrols of local police for the first 12 miles. We've added two additional motorcycles for our own men, and this part is important. We'll be putting the body in a pickup truck, and the empty hearse will leave in the opposite direction. And it will be most
1: effective. Good, good. Now we have to convince Beetlehouse that this thing is really big. I don't think he understands that. And Beetlehouse is the key to getting Kerry out of Texas tonight. I think it's time we tell him the government is heavily involved in this.
0: Crager at this time was now placing a call to George Beetlehouse in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. What the hell do you want, Crager? What is Brian Kerry doing in Manassas? Demanded, Krager. Tell me everything you have on Kerry. No, no, I won't. Apparently, Mr. Beetlehouse, you don't value your own job. We can have you removed. You're a bluffer, Krager. This is a government operation coordinated by the Central Intelligence Agency. There are big implications internationally if Kerry aids in the proliferation of this life movement. The agency will go to violent extremes. You know what I mean, Beetlehouse. Sure they will, Crager. You can take your life movement with your story about the CIA and stick it. You'll regret you said that, said Crager as the line was dead. He hung up and tried to gather his thoughts before calling Jay. That was enough for Phillips as he precariously set down the receiver and tiptoed from the office. His stomach was churning with fear as he felt cold all over his body and sprinted down the corridor and back to the gymnasium. Skidding to a stop, he exited and hurried to find Darby. She'd know what to do, he thought, as the dreadful consequences of such an envisioned conspiracy began to make him tremble openly. Want you in Chicago tonight? Oh, George, let's not get started with this thing again. I told you I'm speaking tomorrow. Craig may be threatening your life, George. Do you? He said as it all came back to him. Craig is the one, isn't he? Craig is the one. He's the one that's been pressuring you. You listen to me, Brian. You listen good. Things can hit the fan. Things can hit the fan as a result. Things can really hit the fan as a result of what I'm going to tell you. Who you hang around with in private is your concern, not mine. But I think I'm about to be fired. The tropics fire you, George. The tropics are owned by the Cogney Foundation. Why would they... Look, two weeks ago, when you decided to go to work for life, Norris Cogney III, you know him, he called me. He instructed me to place a call to Crager and follow his instructions completely or I'd lose my job on the spot. Uh, what does Crager have to do with cogney? asked Kerry. Who knows, Brian? Like, all I know is something awful big is going on here. Crager just told me the CIA is involved in this and they'll use violence against either of us if you don't get your ass out of Texas. You know what I think of the CIA? Never mind that. Crager could just be using that as a, as a pressure point against me. I don't know in any event. Get the hell out of there, Brian, and go to Chicago. Kerry sat on the edge of the bed of the hotel and tried to weigh the predicament in his mind. No, I want to stay, George. For what? For what? Why take any chances? Oh, good God, Kerry, go to Chicago. Look, I'll call Krager and... No, don't tell him anything I've mentioned here. I've kept my mouth shut about certain things. No, it was just a thought, George. But I'm gonna to speak tomorrow. They wouldn't dare try anything against me. I'm too well-known. And as you know, I'm connected. Sue so yourself. You're a stubborn man. George, I'll be all right, reassured Carrie. I just hope and pray that I see you in Chicago tomorrow night. You will. One final thing. Watch your step. You know as much as I do now. Giving that speech is one thing. But I'd let sleeping dogs lie, Brian. I will, George, I will, goodbye, said Kerry as he put down the telephone and then was totally alone. Even though he agreed with Beetlehouse that Craig's threats were probably meaningless, another side of him told him he was about to step into the abyss. Join us next time for another episode of Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.